This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High yeah. He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing it! have won the world championship welcome to benny and the bets podcast can you believe it here's your host terry cushman good evening everyone and welcome to another episode of the benny and the bats podcast covering boston red sox baseball for everyone staying up late tonight on facebook live the podcast as always can be found on google podcast spotify spreaker stitcher soundcloud Apple Podcasts, and the link to our Apple Podcast feed is right above your video window. You can click that, subscribe. All of our shows can be found right there. Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Minnesota Twins with the Red Sox losing two out of three in the series. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by, surprisingly, the normal crew tonight, Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville, who both reside, we don't really say this on the air too much, but they both reside in the state of Florida, which was the, uh, you know, hurricane alley throughout the weekend. So, glad you guys can, uh, can be here, you know, so soon. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it was an interesting week as the storm kind of just came right at me, um, and then it, they kept saying it was going to turn, and then it it did what they said it was going to do and turned right before it got to my, got to where I was. That doesn't prevent me from putting up hurricane shutters and doing all the hurricane prep and buying water and making sure there's gas and all this crazy stuff. But it's been uh, it's been ten years living in South Florida on the East Coast. And uh, this happens at least once a year. Uh, in a couple of the recent years, we've we've had to do it twice, and then we off, we obviously had to, my family had to live through Irma last year. So it's one of those things where to some degree you get used to it, but um, a lot of it is wait and see, and then the storm gets close and you have to do the things to, you know, prepare for it. And then most of the time it's a miss, fortunately. Uh, and that's what happened in this storm. But I, I wasn't able to uh, to kind of be a part of the podcast as a result. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry for that. But uh, <laughs> the storm obviously turned back into the Atlantic. And luckily, we're taking off hurricane shutters now. And we have an abundance of snacks and water. <laughs> and uh, gl- glad to be back to normal. And Liz, how was it in Tampa? I'm assuming pretty tame. Yeah, uh, I mean, they thought it was going to be coming straight across the street. Obviously, Jeremy's area was going to get it quite a bit worse than we were, but uh, we've been pretty waterlogged. I don't know how much rain you guys have gotten most of the summer, but it's rained more this year than I think any other year. So really, that was the main concern here. But a week ago 
today, um, it was insane here. Like, there was no water, there was no bread. You would have thought the apocalypse was coming or there was some kind of something. Like, people were freaking out, lines at gas stations. It, it was wild. And then, and then by Sunday, which really, even if the storm was going to hit us or we were going to see any effects, we weren't even going to see it until, like, late Monday, early Tuesday, something like that. But by Sunday, it was, like, totally quiet. Nobody was doing anything. But uh, they had already, ch- you know, by then, of course, they had pretty much forecasted that shift. And then, unfortunately, for the Bahamas, that meant it just sitting there going only one mile an hour and dumping all that rain on them. And then now, as as lucky as I know we are, you know, to not have the storm affect us here, uh, I feel bad for Charleston and North Carolina and, I guess, Virginia. And I think even up to Rhode Island, they were saying it uh, could potentially affect um, the East Coast. So, so bear down, guys. Get your water. Get your gas. Do it early. You know, don't don't wait for last minute if you're not used to dealing with these things. That, that's all I can say. Yeah, I think Matt's probably getting pelted pretty good with rain right now in North Carolina. What, what's been the worst hurricane uh, since you guys have been down there? When when did you you said you've been down here ten years, Jeremy? Yeah, ten years. I, I would say Irma, just because that affected uh, my kids were younger. We actually had to um, we had to evacuate, um, and it was in my first house. Um, and you know, it, there was we had we were without power for a week. Um, the generator failed after four days, so we actually wound up having to go find a hotel that had power. And with young kids, it was it was a trying <laughs> week to say the least. Um, so I, I would have to go Irma. Um, you know, this one was crazy just because of the size of it, and that it, it it strengthened to a five. Had people really concerned about it? There, there. Um. It's it's an interesting situation because we the Florida Peninsula sticks out into the Atlantic the way it does, and this happens every year where you're constantly watching the storms and watching what they're doing, and it's the spaghetti strings and all this stuff. Um, I will put it to you this way: uh, one, it 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 impacts my family positively in an economic level because uh, I'm an, I litigate insurance claims, and obviously. <laughs> Uh, storms bring insurance claims so there's that weird dynamic where personally you don't want to deal with it but professionally it's very helpful Um, I will I will say this um, I would I would take a hurricane every hurricane season versus having to deal with the winter and it's not even close (laughs) um, because of (laughs) because of the percentage that they actually hit and that the inconvenience is so much shorter than a winter um so I mean that, I I know that's probably crazy for some people to hear because they are scary when when they're barreling at you, but uh, they most of the time do miss, and for whatever reason, a lot of them curl into the Atlantic even even if it's late, like this, like Dorian was. So yeah, I would. Anyways. I would trade you know winter for that any day as well. And uh, before we finally get into the baseball, I haven't really checked the news. Is the Bahar the Bahamas, excuse me, in uh, similar shape as to what Puerto Rico was from from that big hurricane. Like, is the devastation equal? Would you say? I think it's. Worse. I mean, yeah. The property damage is probably significant. the 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 part where it's you can't quantify, and it's you don't want to necessarily compare it 
is there's been a tremendous loss of life. Okay. And uh, that's kind of a uh, there's there's nothing that makes that any better. So I I know that there's um there's some reports that it was like it would have been what would be considered a hurricane. Uh, I'm sorry, a, a category seven. If the if the scale went up that high, which means I think 200 mile an hour per hour sustained winds, and there was literally buildings just blown to the ground that were made of concrete, um, so some terrible stuff. But uh, you know, okay. they, 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 Lewis hit on it too. The crazy thing about it is it just got over the, the that island and then just sat there for like two days. Sat it was there. unbelievable. Yeah, I've yeah, never well, seen anything like that. Well, well, and what I was going to say <laughs> and why I asked when Jeremy or confirmed when Jeremy actually moved to Florida is I grew up in Florida my whole life up until 2001. I moved to Tennessee for a few years and then I came back in 04. And if you weren't in Florida in 04, it, that year probably doesn't stand out to you at all. But 04, four hurricanes hit Florida. It was uh, Charlie was the first one. Uh, it was Charlie, Francis, Jean, and there was one that didn't hit Central Florida because I was actually in Orlando at that time. So it was it was pretty wild. Like they were back to back. Like I moved back in May, and then in June we had Charlie. Like literally three or four weeks later we had Francis, and then like two weeks later we had Jean. And they all came in slightly different directions. But they all somehow crossed through Central Florida, with the exception of I just can't remember the one that hit the Panhandle only. But that that was probably the worst, only because of the number of times. But it was weird because what makes hurricanes so bad, a lot of times, aside from the storm surge, uh, you know, where everything is just getting flooded, um, is the debris. And when that first one comes through, you know, there's all that all the loose debris and the trees and everything is flying around and stuff people, you know, didn't think to take out of their yard and whatnot. But then, you know, once that one, then it gets cleaned out and then the other one comes through and you just you don't worry quite as much, but you still have that stress and you still have to worry about your power going out or water not being good or, you know, whatever the case may be. So that was my worst year was oh four because I had never lived through one really until that point. Uh, the closest I had ever been before was Andrew, uh, and I forget even what year that was when that hit Miami, and that was a teeny little hurricane that was very devastating, and we just got some little bitty outer bands, and it, it gave us some pretty bad thunderstorms, but uh, I would also trade. I spent two winters in uh, in Boston, and the first one, extremely mild, although cold and dark, and I still didn't like it. Second one, my car got buried in like four feet of snow, and I said, I cannot deal with this. I've got to leave, and I came back to Florida. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully uh, the rest of the season stays pretty quiet as far as the storms go, and, uh, and uh, the teams can finish out their uh, respective seasons and, and, and the Dolphins as well because football is about ready. Uh, so. Well Dolphins, so, the Bucks, and the Jaguars. And so, the Jaguars. Uh, Terry, can I ask the first baseball-related question on tonight's recording? Absolutely. Sure. Liz, uh, how, how are you feeling? Uh, what level of devastation are you feeling that the Red Sox effectively ended their season tonight by losing this game and, and falling seven back? I know you're devastated. Go ahead. We'll listen. <laughs> Uh, not devastated at all, although I, I really thought something was going to happen at the end of this game. I, I was telling Terry earlier, the last couple of weeks, 
like outside of the hurricane, I've just been like crazy busy during the week and haven't really been able to watch too much, unfortunately. But but uh, I was able to catch the end of this one, and I really thought there with with the one I was thinking, is there a better like one, two, three, four in a lineup than Mookie Dever or excuse me, Mookie? Um, God. Why does number two escape me? Devers, JD, uh, and Bogart. Yeah, no, no, uh, and uh, Xander, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Mookie, Xander, Devers, and uh, JD. Like, is there a better one, two, three, four? I really don't think there is. No. I really thought something was going to happen. I was like, oh, my God, if Mookie just gets on base, and if that ball would have been a little bit further in a right field, I don't think Chrome would have caught it. But um, if he would have got on base, I really think that would have given Devers the extra incentive to – I don't know, to at least get to at least get a hit and Mookie probably could have got to third just because he's that fast. But um, it sucked to see him lose that way. But uh, what I really want to happen is for you guys to come into this weekend and sweep the Yankees, not only because obviously, even though you think I'm a Red Sox fan, <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, even a Red Sox fan, race fan, I can hate the Yankees equally. I, but, I don't think but, I would love to. I would love to see the Yankees get get knocked down like a few more. Like they need to suck like this last month, and then maybe, just maybe, because the Rays have actually gotten back some of our people on the DL. And Tyler Glass now was doing some rehab starts, or did one two nights ago, I think, uh, in Durham uh, at our AAA team. And uh, he might be back. Like we get him back, everything starts clicking. We've got Brandon Lowe back. We've got Garcia back. Uh, who else we have back? I don't know. We've had so many weird injuries. It's just been dumb. But uh, things could start happening if the if the Yankees start losing. <laughs> we could overtake the the uh, division, which would be amazing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm not devastated at all to answer your question. <laughs> who are you trying to convince, us or yourself? Because <laughs> uh, yeah. that seemed like a really, you know, I mean... <laughs> Terry, that seems like a bit much, don't you think? We'll bet. Uh, we'll bet. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan until I get my Chavis jersey. So the second you see me post anything when I have that, because that's a jersey I would want, I think, um, or maybe Devers, but probably Chavis. I just like him. Um, yeah, not a fan yet. Liz, Liz, <laughs> you're talking about asking for a Red Sox jersey. And you're comparing multiple players, but yet you're not a fan of the Red Sox. No one believes I, you. Okay, okay. So, so tell me, if if I couldn't compare and I didn't know the players, why the hell would I be here? Wouldn't that be really weird? Be like, who's that? What are we talking about? Well, I mean, you're obviously a fan of baseball, but I'm just saying. You literally just talked about getting the jersey of your favorite Red Sox players, but that's okay because I, I don't have a Ra- Devil Rays list. Well, I have I have a bunch of jerseys though. I have a White Sox jersey. I have a Astros jersey, Braves jersey. Uh, what else do I have? Who's your Astros jersey? Altuve. Altuve, yeah. Royals. I have a Royal. I have a Royals jersey. I I have my Royals jersey is uh, Ben Zobrist uh, World Series jersey. Oh, that's a Tampa that's jersey then. Yeah, well, I love Zobrist. <laughs> He'll be my favorite forever. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm going to say this. I mean, it's definitely over. And, I mean, to me, it's definitely been over for a few weeks now. I mean, we stubbornly was around five, five and a half games out. Now we've slipped back to six and a half, seven, only 21 games left. So I think we can pronounce the the playoff hopes dead. You know, they were on the ventilator at this point. So all we've done now is we've unplugged the ventilator and, 
and uh, it's over. And the Red Sox offense never quit. Even tonight, like, they were still trying to, you know, make something happen. As impossible as the circumstances were, you know, Devers had, you know, tried to go from first to home. I don't have any problem with him being sent in that situation. Um, I thought it was hilarious that he landed like eight feet from home plate and Cora held up his hand like, oh, no, we, we want to look at this. And uh, it's like, Cora, stand down, buddy. He uh, wasn't even close. And But the offense never quit, but the, the pitching, obviously, not good. And what's super annoying, Liz, is you guys are going to cruise at least into the wild card game. And you've got one starting pitcher right now, Charlie Morton. Mm-hmm. And the rest are spot starters, essentially. Haven't had Snell for uh, a while. Yeah, Yarbrough is the only one who, he was in the bullpen, but he's he's been a consistent starter. And then I think they've been, because it's weird, like they'll have like TBD or whatever, or be like, oh, well, clearly there's going to be an opener. But then they'll put on Twitter like that day, oh, no opener, we're going to put this person, yeah. you know? But, like just a random person and leave him in for at least five innings. Where with the opener thing, they would put him in for like one or two and then switch him out and have it be like one and then maybe do three. It was really weird how they did it. But you've done a great job patchworking it together. I mean, the Red Sox, as currently constituted, should be in a you know in a better groove than Tampa is. You know, even not having sale and 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 we're just not. You know, and and. We had a nice string of games coming into this week, you know, and the Twins were a first-place team, and, and we'll have the Yankees uh, starting tomorrow. But um, we just haven't beaten the good teams, and it's just it's almost predictable at this point. I think we're – I think we – at just at home, we were coming into the Twins series. Our record was 10 wins, 20 losses – against teams above 500. So, and and if I'm correct on that, now we're 11 and uh, 22. So, um, you know, it's just been the story of our year. And <laughs> I will say this. I am looking forward to the offseason. I want to see how the dominoes fall. You know, I think we're all going to be glued to Twitter, you know, in the first, I don't know what the last day of the season is, the 28th or the 29th, I think, you know, so we'll, we'll all be glued to Twitter to see what happens with Dombrowski. And then JD Martinez, I think we'll have 10 days. Um, well, actually that might be 10 days after the world series to, to opt in or out. And, and then from there, it just, we'll see how it happens. But, but yeah. So, Speaking of the offense and their, I, th- I think it's cool to see that they just don't quit. I think it says a lot about those guys, the everyday nine. And I also think it gives Red Sox fans um, plenty of room for optimism heading into 2020, assuming the pitching can be even slightly better. Carabas tweeted this um uh, just a little while ago, the top, uh, what is this? The top seven teams in baseball in terms of run production with their playoff percentage of, uh, or, or the percentage of chance to make the playoffs. 
So here, here are the here are the stats. Okay, the Minnesota Twins are number one, eighty six and fifty three. They have a ninety nine point eight percent chance. They're going to make the playoffs. Yankees are number two. They're ninety nine point nine. They're going to make the playoffs. Number three is the Red Sox, and I'll tell you their percentage in a minute. The Dodgers are four at ninety nine point nine. The Astros are five at ninety nine point nine percent. They're going to make the playoffs. The Braves are six. They're ninety nine point nine percent. And the Nationals uh, are a measly 97.8%. They're seventh in the league in run production. Back to the Red Sox. They're third, 6.1%. It, it goes to show that this team, as good as they have been, have been one-sided, as I think is worse as we've seen in recent memory, where one where one arm of the team is so much stronger than, than the balance with the pitching being that bad. It, it, it just goes to show you in a game in a, in a game that has evolved into, um, uh, you know, bat, a ball off bat speed, you know, getting backspin everyone. There's no such thing as choking up on a two strike pitch. Everything is about putting the ball in play and launch angle and the Red Sox do it third best in the entire game and they are basically eliminated at this point from playoff contention it's just it, it just goes to show you what a monumental failure the pitching has been on this team and i give I, I there's so much blame on the way the organization handled it coming off the world series run i mean obviously the athletes themselves sucked minus probably erod uh but and workman but it just it, it it's pathetic. It's pathetic when you when you put it in this in the in the form that Carabas did in the tweet recently. So, yeah. Well, let, let me ask you this. I mean, the the preparation you know coming out of spring training obviously was poor, and, and we've covered that. And Jeremy, you're, that's been one of your big things. Um, but that nine game losing streak in July says a lot as well, because there, there was no need for that. Like everybody, you know, everybody was in their grooves and uh, granted went on the DL not long after that. But, but, you know, we talked about the all-star break coming back against, uh, the Dodgers and that was a big prove it series. And, and you know we hung tough throughout July, and it was right before the trade deadline we uh, started to sputter, and then nine straight losses. I, to me, that that's my doomsday moment. And coming out of the All Star break, going into that Dodgers series, the division was still within reach. So I mean, and and now you know that got away from us, and, and then and then the wild card. Got, got away from us so I put more of it on this summer and you know and then having- well, obviously obviously playing the games right I mean I, I just think the team was put in a position to fail and then it failed and part of it's because we have some guys that like price for example who asked out of his start tomorrow <laughs> um, who takes the the low-hanging fruit of failure and and and, and that's what he is. I mean, look, look, look at the starting rotation and the results where they are right now, right? So when they started the season, it was Sale, Price, Porcello, Avaldi, Erod. Sale's done. Uh, he, he was a shell of himself 
he got healthy for probably six starts uh, from April to May, and otherwise has just not been good. Uh, Porcello uh, is now pitched himself out of any chance of being here because he's been that bad, and he's probably going to go pitch in a mid-market team on a on a one-year, you know, five to seven million dollar contract to 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 prove himself to get one more long-term deal. Price is pathetic. Um, him asking out of the start tomorrow uh, is just soft for a wrist injury. I mean, he it better be a ligament that's like, you know, torn. W- what in your wrist could prevent you from pitching two days after they say you're ready to pitch? Avaldi uh, obviously uh, had the loose bodies in his elbow and then, you know, had a setback during the rehab and has been pretty much a non-factor. And when he has pitched, it hasn't been good. And then Erod, who's been your only starting pitcher that's been – effective consistently throughout the season and it's not like he's having a Cy Young year he's just been your best guy and he's making all the starts I mean that rotation from opening day to today I mean that is the nightmare scenario I mean nightmare right and I mean Vivaldi technically did have a uh, quality start tonight with five innings pitched only gave up one run but it took him till September 5th to do that um so that just, I mean, what a, you know, waste of a, a year that was, you know, for the $17 million. But let, let's get into David Price. So every time the Yankees series comes around, he gets, he gets out of the series. And he's done that at least one other time this year. He did it uh, once last year with the... Fortnite uh, controversy that was in the month of May of 2018, and then the first series of the of the 2018 season against the Yankees was in April on a on a cold night. Price gets lit up in the uh, first inning of that start, gives up four or five runs, and then exits the game because he's got hand numbness, which was talked about after the game and he magically I guess was fine 10 minutes after he came out of the game but he's got the Yankees the, the it's one of two things he's legitimately afraid of the Yankees and and he knows he's probably going to get humiliated and he wasn't great in that two inning uh start against the Angels you know he he needed 45 pitches to you know get through two innings and, uh, you know, so he, he, not great, you know, coming into what would have been a start tomorrow. So he's either afraid of them or he's like, you know what? He's like, I got my World Series last year. They at least can't hold that over my head. And if I don't want to, you know, if I don't want to start tomorrow, that's my decision and, and, and tough crap. <laughs> I didn't say the S word there. But it's one or the two. He, he's just being a manipulative little bitch. I'm going to say that word. and Or he's afraid of the Yankees. It's one of the two. I mean, how how does just saying, I don't want to, I mean, I haven't read any, again, my week's been insane, so I apologize for asking. Probably a dumb question. How does that even work? How can he even say oh, I'm just not going to play. Like, did he make up an injury? Like, what the hell? I, I don't even get it. Well, he, he went on the DL with a with a cyst on his wrist. 
uh, let's see, probably in what mid-August, first or second week of August, and uh, came back at one start, and it was labeled as a as a setback today. But um, uh, it's just it's frustrating. A, cal- a, a calculated setback. <laughs> or something exactly i think he, and maybe he's quit on the season and and that's part of it too i think he should quit on the season i just don't think it should be his choice it should be the team that says this thing's over uh we're gonna have a substantially stacked lineup as we do this year next year minus mookie and we got to figure out first base um but other than that, everyone's coming back. Uh, this team needs to get healthy. They they need to they need to rest. I, they should have set, set sale down. They should set price down. I don't think Evaldi should pitch again. Uh, honestly, maybe Erod makes one more start and then he's done, and then just throw young guys and get these guys the month back they lost last fall. In terms of being ready and getting back on a normal throwing program once February hits and we're back to pitchers and catchers. There's nothing to prove at this point. These are all established veterans that are going to be here next year. Go get them healthy. Go get them rested. Go let them play golf. Don't put the extra miles on the arm. And it will pay dividends next year because I'm telling you right now, this Red Sox team will be a contender next year if the pitching's even moderately better. So, to me, shut everyone down. And I know that's going to be unpopular because there are delusional Red Sox fans. Um, If you're a delusional Red Sox fan, I say this with all due respect, which makes it okay. Um, They're not, like, it's not happening, guys and girls. So, let the Red Sox know that it's time to sit everyone down. They, They are cognizant of the fan base and worried about what the response is going to be. But I think the majority of the fan base is going to understand that you have to get healthy. You have to give these guys this, the rest to get ready for next year. I mean, there's no question in my mind. This, this thing's over. I mean, and then what? What? You're going to keep throwing Erod, and then he's going to, he's going to get something, and then he's now affected into next year? Or, or you, you force Price out there when he doesn't want to pitch? And yes, he's a bitch, and yes, he's soft, and I hate his guts. And he no longer holds the cards anymore. But you you force him out there, and then he has to have surgery on the wrist, and then bang, he's out. Let's say into May. Like it just does nothing. Like start looking for next year. And I, and I know it's hard because they're so cognizant of, of irking the fan base. But it's it's just so clearly the obvious move to me. I guess I'm just uncomfortable with with price. I just don't know where he's at, you know. I don't know what kind of mindset, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at, you know, as far as this point in his career. And, I mean, you it, it's a fair question whether or not he's, he's kind of quit at certain points of this year. And I just, he's going to be 35 next year. He's getting paid no matter what. He's not a popular guy amongst the fan base. He does have a, a core of diehards that's going to support him no matter what. But you know, he's just he comes with a lot of controversy, and 
And I just don't know. I mean, what if, and we should be contenders next year. I can't, I can't really see a big move that the Yankees are going to make with their payroll situation. So, you know, it should be a competitive race at the very least next year. And I just, I don't know, is, is price going to be a bulldog again? And, and put the team on his back if he has to. I don't. I can't say yes to that. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it just that bothers me. Well, I mean, look, he's now he's now probably past his prime. He's on the downslope, and appreciate what he did last year, but it's the it's it's the exception, not the rule. He's sucked in every big game this year, and he's not available again. I mean, he had a wonderful September and October, but other than that, he is who we thought he was. I mean, that's the. I mean, and no one can disagree with that. Uh, no, <laughs> absolutely. I not. mean, unless, unless you're just that level of homer that you you can't have any objectivity in your you know evaluation of the Boston Red Sox. I mean, he's reverted back to what he has always been. And yeah, there will not be an October this year for him to fail in. But that doesn't mean that he has been a monumental failure to this team. And he hasn't been there for his team, his players, whatever. He always talks about, you know, you know, the importance of being liked in the clubhouse and this and that. I would love to have a candid answer from someone in that clubhouse about his availability and his performance this year. Because it's been ultimately absolutely pathetic. Now, it, and it's not just him. It's also Sale. It's also Evaldi. I mean, Porcello, who credit to him at least goes out there and starts every fifth day, has been atrocious. He's been pathetic. I just Price is the guy that Price is the guy that was getting paid the b- biggest amount of money, the most amount of money. He should be the guy you rely on the most, and he's been the guy you rely you can rely on the absolute least. One final question on Price, and then we'll we'll get into Porcello for a few minutes. When he got into, when he was clashing with Farrell in 2017 and the whole, you know, manager John, you know, debacle, the clubhouse was on David Price's side. Now, I don't know, I don't know if this was a Red Sox thing to shut him down or if it was a David Price thing to shut him down, but... If he's not into it next year and he takes himself out of whether it's a Yankee start or just a big start in general, uh, you know, against a good team, and then Alex Cora finally gets sick of his crap, I'm just wondering, you know, how are the dynamics going to be? Uh, is it still going to be, you know, are are his are the teammates in the clubhouse going to be team Price? Or are they going to be more team Cora? Should there be issues next year? I think I think I, they're going to be. I, on, don't. I was going to sorry, say Jerry, they. Go no, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't. Have, um, I I think Alex Cora is going to maintain, you know, control of the clubhouse and and be the bigger voice. I ultimately agree. I also don't forecast the same issues next year. I think the team will be motivated. Uh, the mindset will be completely different coming into the season. And they'll play 25, 20 to 25 games less 
than they did last year. So I, I, I have less concerns. Now, if it does devolve into a, a price versus chorus situation, I feel pretty confident that they will either stay out of it or take the club's perspective of things. And I think a lot of that, will, in my mind, would be what he's done or failed to do this year. Because, look, they may say the right things outwardly, but they don't. But players want their best players available and pitching or playing or whatever may be the sport, and he's just not there. And I, I, I refuse to believe that the clubhouse is accepting of his complete lack of availability. Well, right. and, and Terry, you brought up earlier about how the Rays have been able to piece together quite a season, you know, and they're doing well now, really, with only one starting pitcher um, that was a starting pitcher at the beginning of the season anyway. So, I mean, do you think, you know, this could be why? Like, it's almost like not not pitching versus offense or, or anything like that, but just this this energy you know, makes them not cohesive with the rest of the team, and that's part of the problem. I mean, I know that's something that's not really quantifiable, but one of the things I've heard about why the Rays have even kept a few of their players around, like uh, G-Man Choi, who plays uh, first base most of the time and uh, unfortunately has gotten hurt quite a few times as well. Um, Like, he's not that spectacular at the plate. Like, he does okay. You know, he's not completely horrible, but he's not great. But, I mean, there were plenty of people saying, you know, they keep him around because he's a clubhouse guy. And, you know, you guys are at the level, you know, where you're having all these high-dollar players. And clubhouse guy or not, I mean, they have to be there. And with all of them struggling, or most of them struggling, you know, with the exception of of Erod, I guess. um, I mean, that that can really bring, you know, bring down a clubhouse. You think that could be, you know, something? And if I mean, maybe next year that energy won't be there. I don't know. Because like what Jeremy said, they'll be playing, you know, they'll be fresher than uh, than they were this year. Or is that a possibility? I think it still comes down to pitching next year. Um, you know, without Mookie Betts, I still think the Red Sox will be pretty robust. And uh, I've been saying all along, I think Andrew Benatendi is going to have an uptick. You know, I think we're going to get a lot of production out of our infield however the first base situation shakes out you know whether Chavis is the you know the full-time first baseman or you know maybe if Dahlbeck gets put in there I mean I think he's going to be you know a a, you know a powerful big league bat so I just feel I'm I'm comfortable with the offense um I don't know I mean I'm not going to sit here and say that I think the Red Sox are going to win the division next year because I just it's hard to trust the health of, of the rotation I mean you know sale price of oldie right there that's some serious question marks in terms of you know health and durability so you know I just I can't imagine that the team's going to be in disarray at this point and if it is then it's it's going to be even uglier than it was this year you know being that it's the second straight year that it's happened and and we we finished last two straight years after 
the 2013 World Series. So that's not even a unique situation for this fan base. But, um, but it's just there, there's going to be a lot of question marks with pitching. So I don't I don't know. It's hard to get the the vibe of of you know what the clubhouse dynamics and and the motivation and the hungriness or whatever. I want to see a huge shakeup this year. And, you know, maybe we can talk about Porcello at this point. I just don't want him back. I'm just, I'm just tired of it. I don't care that his trend points towards a better season where it's uh, um, an even numbered year. I just, I don't think he's a difference maker anyway. And if they can go get a Jake Odorizzi type guy who I think is a is a nice comp and, and shouldn't cost – he shouldn't get much more than what Porcello got on this most recent deal. I just want to see a shakeup with this team. And, and not having Mookie will be big. And, and you know, maybe you bring in a, a big character guy. Maybe Edwin Encarnacion comes in. He's he's probably a ten million dollar a year guy, and maybe he's the character guy that kind of you know changes it up a little bit. I just I want to see a different looking team come February, and I think that would be a big help, and maybe even a new pitching coach while we're at it. I liked your tweet uh, this week. I think was it. I guess it had to have been the night that Porcello was pitching that first game on um, Tuesday where you said he was going to be an Oriole. Which, uh, <laughs> he should be. It, it would be it would be interesting, you know, to see him over there. I mean, clearly Baltimore, you, I, they play the Red Sox enough, but, you know, that's a lot lower pressure situation. And, I mean, he could go over there and potentially, you know, do really well. I mean, he already knows all the teams in the division. So why not? I could totally see them picking him up. They would they would sign him as someone that they could hopefully trade for, you know, at least a mid-level prospect come the trade deadline, you know, but I can't see a, a huge market team going after him. Maybe the Brewers will take a flyer on him because that they're that type of team, but but yeah, I don't know. W- what would you do, Jeremy, in terms of, you know, bringing a different mindset in into spring training in February. I mean, I think a, a part of the mindset is to have a staff that hasn't thrown the same amount of innings, and so I think it'll kind of t- a lot of it's going to take care of itself. And I think they'll get back to a normal throwing program. I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast where the the throwing program was modified and pushed back. Where normally you start out with fifteen. Then you do a get up, get down, and you throw two simulated innings, you're at 30. And then after a month, you go 30, you know, 45, 60, 75. And then by the time you're making your first start, you're prepared to throw 100 pitches. And what they just did was they pushed everything back two weeks, and that first start was intended to be 75 pitches. And they and then the and then the second or third start of the regular season, they wanted guys at 100. And they thought that the uh, the team would hit and that the bullpen would be good enough to c- extend spring training into the regular season as a way to protect arms based on the wear and tear that they uh, endured in, in you know winning the World Series. And it just backfired entirely because the offense didn't hit. 
Moreland saved you the the what was it the four games you actually won, but the the team just didn't perform. The bullpen wasn't good enough, and it was just a monumental fail that it, that it became the hill you just could never climb. Um, and even if you split that west, you know, let's say you go, you know, seven and seven, you're, you're two games out of the wild card instead of now seven. And it's just a monumental difference, but that's not the way it works, and they could never get over it. Uh, I, I really think a lot of the issue is going to take care of itself by just not having that extra wear and tear. So assuming sales healthy, prices healthy, of all these back, I think you're going to see a normal, regular throwing program in Fort Myers starting in late February. And as a result, by the time the season starts, they're going to be at 100 pitches already. And they're going to be prepared to throw their full complement um, of of pitches. I think they'll locate better because they will have built up a little bit more of a base as far as stamina. And I think they'll generally be better and hungrier because the other thing is no one will be talking about repeating, which was another detriment to this team. So I, I really do feel like once they figure out the Mookie thing, which obviously is going to be a trade and fill in the roster with some talent, um, I really do expect them to be to contenders next year, and I expect them to start a lot better um, than they were this year. Uh, with Porcello, um, Terry, let me ask you this question. I don't think this is what he'll get, but let's say he's willing to take a little bit of a discount to stay one more year in Boston uh, in what ultimately is going to have to be a prove-it year. If his agent call, calls the Red Sox and say one year, Five million, you know, another, you know, five million in incentives, you know, gets into 200 innings, you know, finishes in the top 10 in the site, young, you know, whatever may be the incentives. Do you, do you have them back at that cost? I don't, I mean, that's good value from a monetary standpoint. But like I said a couple minutes ago, I'm just, more in favor of a shakeup at this point. And I think he's a prime candidate to just kind of move out. I mean, if he's getting, if he's getting shelled in June or July, how, how aggravated are we going to feel, you know, just reliving this constantly so far, three out of his five years in Boston have been bad. He had one great one last year you know, good. And, and he, I would say he was even a key cog in that rotation, but, um, but still three out of five, I'm just, I'm tired of riding that ride and I just rather move on and you have to replace him with something. There's no internal candidate that you can just plug in, you know, so you have to go get someone and, and maybe, Maybe you you take that route anyway as like an insurance policy because I I'm extremely pessimistic on on sale. I just <laughs> this is the fourth year straight he's had issues. Why is the fifth year going to be the charm? So I'd kind of I I think we're going to be out of the Garrett Cole situation. I, I was listening to a Buster Only podcast and they speculated he could get north of two hundred million on six years so that's like upper 30s per year so we're, we're out of that sweepstakes and his agent is scott boris as well so don't count on that being a big splash but maybe 
maybe you kind of wait out the Bumgarner thing and and you get him on a, you know a little bit more cheaper deal than you might have expected and and maybe he becomes an insurance policy for for sale or price should you lose one of them and and I'd I'd rather go that route you know and it's it's easy to replace Porcello's production, I feel like, you know, especially with all the money coming off the books. So I just pass, regardless of how the the money situation looks. And and I'll Can't say this I think the fan base is also ready. I mean, he had a he had a stop sucking post it note in his locker yesterday. And it's nice that he did that. It's nice that he's trying to motivate himself. But the guy, he just, if he should ever have it together, it should have been this year. It was a walk year. And and is, is, do you recall a worse walk year <laughs> in all of professional sports? I don't think so. And that's an excellent point. I do not, not one comes to mind that's been this bad. I mean, I I could think of like, if you gave me 20 minutes, I could come up with like 30 examples. Jacoby Ellsbury would be a prime example of someone who flashed in that walk year and then made themselves a whole bunch of money they don't deserve. Oh, I took it the opposite way. Okay, yeah, so... Typically, I mean, like, like, typically, what happens is people play out of their freaking minds to earn that contract, and then the minute they sign the contract, they revert back to normal, and they're just they did never perform to the contract as a result. Jacoby Ellsbury was a 30, 30 year guy, and his walk year with the Red Sox, which he parlayed into never playing the uh, playing for the Yankees for one hundred and eighty million. Um, Johnny Damon uh, won a World Series and had a really good year, and then was you know was never terrible, but he was not that guy. Uh, I mean, it ha- it happens in all sports: basketball, hockey, football. It happens in baseball all the time. B.J. Upton. B.J. Upton oh, yeah. had the best year of his life for the Rays. I forget even what year it was. But had that best year, and then the Braves signed him, and he basically single-handedly got their GM fired for signing that contract. <laughs> yeah, and, oh, and there's always a dumb team that is that is willing to do it. You know, it's crazy. It really is. Yeah, and we've seen, like you said, on the opposite side of that coin, we've seen a lot of bad first years where they didn't quite live up to it, and um, so I just. Uh, yeah, Porcello at this point is just is just a hard pass for me, and I, if I they could get him on a ten million dollar deal, I have him back, and I let him do the prove it year in Boston because I think he wants to do it in Boston. Well, that's he, just me. He's got no market. If you're talking about multiple year. If you're talking about multiple years, and if you're talking about. Anything north of ten million to me, it's uh, I agree, it's a no. But if he is going to resign himself to the fact that he has to have a prove it year, I don't think there's a better place to have a prove it year than Boston. He's comfortable here; he likes it here. Remember, he went to the Red Sox in the off season and said, "I'm willing to take a discount to stay here," and they said, "Thanks, but no thanks." So, um, you know, and 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 here's the other thing with him: assuming everyone else is better. He's still going to give you 180 innings, even if he's not great as far as like an ERA uh, point. 
he's still going to make every one of his starts, and he's still going to give you a high volume of innings. So I think at $10 million, there's just no downside, and assuming that's something he's willing to do, I would do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I get your point. I'm just – I guess I'm just indifferent to, to him, but – the the upside is exactly what you said. He's he's good for 180 to 200 innings, no significant injury history, so you're you're good there. But uh, I don't know. That's who fills the void, Perry? If 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 when Porcello leaves, you have to go outside the organization, or maybe you trade for a Mike Leak type guy if he even has any. Uh, you know, if he if he's not on his walk here as well, you know, because that wouldn't cost anything significant in prospects. But um, yes, I think the answer there lies in the fact that Sandoval's off the books. Mookie's going to get traded. Um, so Moreland, go after another big Moreland, Moreland Pierce clear. I think that's another twelve million. Um, there's a possibility JD's not here, but I don't think that happens. But between Mookie, Porcello, Pablo, and first base uh, with Moreland and Pierce, I think Terry, you know the number. What is it like, like fifty-five million total comes coming... off the books? Oh no, it's yeah. uh, it's close to especially if Mookie doesn't come back. It's like in the eighties at least. Yeah. Okay. So, well, my point is that you're going to have the money in free agency. You to do really whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is you spend a lot of that money on pitching based on what happened this year. Yeah, I, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean that, I think the, I, cause the, look, maybe you promote from within if you're trying to fill the fifth spot, but if you're trying to find a guy who's going to give you the sort of value that puts you back in the postseason run, it's gotta be from outside the organization. And Lo and behold, all these bad contracts come off the books, and there's going to be plenty of money and money that you can spend under the cap. So, look, there's I like I'm just going to keep reiterating it. They're set up well for next year. They really, really are. They, but they don't want to spend like drunken sailors. I mean, make make one big oh, no, because then you're, then in three years we're saying the same thing, right? You know, yeah. player A, player B, player C is off the books, and we're getting sixty million back. I mean, spend it wisely, right? Um, it, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I think Dombrowski is probably not the guy for this. But I, I really, with that amount of money, and I'm not saying spend it all. In fact, leave ten million in the bank for the trade you need to make during the regular season. Right? Don't be cap strapped going into the trade deadline, and then limit your ability to make necessary moves basically what happened in 2019 spend to a certain degree leave some money in the bank so you can upgrade during the season and and go get the help wherever it may be and i think the other side of this is if you take mookie and do what you have to do which is trade him you're gonna get prospects and big league talent back that will help fill in that role now if you do it appropriately and you have multiple teams bidding for him you could potentially also get help back that's under contract that's not free agent money so you could potentially get a guy that 
has arbitration years left and is affordable, that also fills the role. I think that would also be ideal. That's why I pushed so hard for them to trade Buki this offseason. Um, so, I mean, between the money coming off the books and the asset of Mookie, and I think the no-brainer of having to trade him, you know, again, with the recurring, um, not the recurring, the, the, you know, the, the, the everyday nine coming back, but for Mookie and probably but for JBJ, you're really in a good spot to add in the appropriate spaces and be ready to win next year. So, ideally, if you guys could pick one guy, one pitcher they go after, one free agent, who would you want? A minimum of Odorizzi, especially if we're if we're talking Porcello. But well, let me add one thing in here, though. Jeremy did touch on Dombrowski. I think he's gone, and when the new GM comes in, he's going to want to put his own touch on this team. He doesn't want to bring back most of Dombrowski's failure next year. Granted, a lot of these guys underperform drastically, so... You know, you could expect a lot of them to, to bounce back. But I think it's going to be a GM with, with a different mindset and, and you know, wanting to put his own touches. I I think all we really have to do, just get one mid to upper level rotation pitcher, get, get one solid late inning uh, bullpen arm, preferably a closer, and... And then just just ride it out. That leaves money to, you know, for moves. You know, if you end up taking on a contract at some point in the summer, and I just the bullpen's been solid as of late, and I, I think Darwin's and Hernandez is just going to be an absolute stud. And I'm a little less concerned than I was last year, but I think if you just add one arm to that bullpen, I, I think you're you're looking really good, and and then, you know, you just kind of ride it out. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I, I think Evaldi will, I, again, I think with people getting rest, we're going to see people coming back to where they should be. I think Evaldi will be better. Obviously, his health is always going to be a question mark. I expect Erod to continue to improve. Um, I think uh, price will be more available. Same with sale. Um, you know, so I look. Twenty nineteen has sucked, and it's going to be looked at for a long time. And and one of the the great Boston sports underachievements in the last twenty years. Uh, but with that said. There's no reason why it can't be a springboard to a successful 2020 season. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's not all bad because it's they're not going through a rebuild. They're, they, you know, they just underachieved for one year, and I think they'll use it as motivation going into into the off season and into next season. the the key, The key, and you know, Terry touched on it again is who they decide to, to lead the charge going into the offseason and who's going to be in charge of making these moves because that could have a significant impact about you know how much of the of players they are in free agency versus keeping the you know potentially just keeping the assets where they are and 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 finding a way to draft better but um, you know we're gonna get answers uh, 
you know, within the next 60 days once the season winds down. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, uh, I think everyone that listens to this, pod- this podcast are baseball fans at heart. We're all Red Sox fans, including you, Liz. Stop lying to yourself. And uh, <laughs> these games in September can suck because one team is typically out of it and it's just non-competitive on one side or the other in most games. Um, that ends here in a month when we get to the postseason and every game is so enjoyable to watch. And with Red Sox Nation uh, having been out of it and and being out of it for a certain period of time, we all should be able to under, uh, uh, should be able to enjoy the postseason, knowing that the Red Sox uh, under no circumstances should be in it. And for me, I am excited to get to that wild card. That's a great couple of days with the the shortened ALDS, and, and baseball really becomes fun again um, when the best teams are at each other. So. Um, you know, and we'll be podcasting through that process. So uh, I am looking forward to that. It's just we have to basically ride out a really bad storm here. And, uh, you know, and then the games will be fun again for a month. One last last question, and we'll get to the Yankees series. The one thing that does make me nervous about a new GM coming in and replacing Dombrowski is I don't want to become the Dodgers all of a sudden and get too hardcore analytical that it it, it takes the game out of Cora's hands. Case in point, Cody Bellinger and Max Muncy sitting for the first seven innings of games one and two of the World Series. That's like insane analytics, and I don't want to be an organization who embraces that. So if we get some young guy, I, I don't, analytics doesn't bother me in terms of building a roster, like who they target in the offseason. I'm totally good with that. But on the field, I, I want it to still be in the manager's hands. And we haven't, we've, in our lifetime, we've never been an organization that has an analytics department kind of structuring, you know, each game, you know, inning by inning. And that's the, that's the one thing I, I've always liked about Dombrowski. He, he never got involved in that for the most part. So, you know, that's just been in the back of my mind the last few weeks. There has to be a greater top to bottom uh, organizational um, accountability. There has to be a checks and balances. You can't have, um, you know, the Al Davis in the 80s Raiders where he's literally calling to the coaching staff on the sideline and saying, hey, throw, throw, just, you know, you know, downfield passes. There has to be checks and balances. The best organizations trust the guy below them. The Patriots, I think Terry loves when I use other sports as an example of my of point. So I'm, Terry, I'm going to feed into your love of that. The Patriots are a perfect example. The the Kraft trusts his sons, who trust the general manager, who trusts Belichick, who trusts the coaching staff, to the positional coaching staff, to the players. And they empower each hierarchy in the system to do their job and to do it well. And there's a checks and balances. And if one of the the, the prongs gets out of whack... There's another prong to bring things back into into place, and with this Red Sox organization and the you know all the things they're involved in, with Henry being involved in Roush Fenway, 
and the soccer team and you know the globe sometimes i wonder how important the red sox are to the people that are paying everyone's salary and how much they're watching guys like dombrowski operate and build rosters and who are the people that are sitting there saying i agree or disagree with this and how much clout they have with the person that actually makes a decision and i think the red sox when they have failed organizationally like i think they have this year it, it there's been a breakdown top to bottom with the theo situation um and 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 that whole thing it just seemed like it was a power struggle and then you know charrington was put in place basically because he was epstein's basically right-hand man during that period of time but then no one no one really respected charrington and he he really was kind of a figurehead uh being puppeted by people behind the scenes and then you have dombrowski who seems to not be you know terry you mentioned a couple podcasts ago where he there was a report that he was like not making meetings with uh, organizational brass and, and doing things kind of on his own. It just seems like that that whole situation's broken, and I'd and I'd like to see the team and the organization generally get back to um, a balanced running of the entire program. You know, and I, because there just seems to be a disconnect. Um, the fact that they couldn't get on the same page and, and let go of last year and they couldn't get on the same page as far as preparation of the athletes, especially the pitching staff coming into this year. And there's just breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. Uh, rumors coming out that it frankly shouldn't be coming out. You know, just stuff like that. It just it seems like it's broken top to bottom. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I don't think he'll be back. And I, I've said also, I think he's a 90s, early 2000s GM. And I don't think he's quite up on the times. The next GM we get, you know, he's probably going to be in his 30s. He's probably going to have the newer, trendier mindset, you know, when it comes to, you know, identifying value with certain things. And, that will be refreshing and and here's another thing too i mean this organization probably more than any other organization other than the angels i would say uh, you know ownership is a huge factor in a lot of the decisions that get made and a lot of them have been bad decisions like pablo sandoval was an ownership decision that they were extremely motivated to bring him in. They they saw like marketing opportunities in him, you know, aside from the performance. So that's how that happened. And um, you know, Chris Sale getting signed early was, I think, more of an ownership thing than a Dombrowski thing. And um, I'm not sure about Evoldi, but you know, I wish there was an adult in the room that you know took a different approach to bringing him back. So, you know, ownership I, I'm a little uncomfortable with at times in, in terms of signing players. So that just kind of adds to my, you know, apprehension on what it might be like for Alex Cora going forward. Is it still his team or is is he going to be a little less influential due to the, the next top executive? So... I don't know. Can I just say that because Terry agrees with me, I feel uncomfortable with my take. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, 
It's the seventh sign of the apocalypse. I know. Jeez. Now I'm going to sit in bed all night being like, oh, where did I go wrong with this take? <laughs> well, I'm going to take a shower immediately after myself. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so, game one against the Yankees. Uh, a little more interesting. Uh, we got Domingo Herman against Julius Chassin who was one of the top uh, Brewers pitchers last year. I don't have his uh, 2018 numbers up in front of me, but had a very solid year with Milwaukee. was a big part of getting them to game seven of the NLCS. So I'm just kind of curious to see how, how he does in a change of scenery. Herman's been up and down, so I, it's tough to really pick a winner here. But uh, at least we got something interesting right out of the gates. I, I'm not going to have any problem picking a winner here. <laughs> okay. Uh, Herman is 17 and three with a 4.01 ERA. Um, so he's something slightly better than a quality start as far as his ERA is concerned. Um, but the Yankees are just a better regular season team, uh, and I expect them to win this game. Uh, Chassin is three and ten with a five point seven nine ERA, and I can't discount that a change of scenery may make a difference. But um, I, I expect the Red Sox to go bad and go bad fully, uh, and then, like I said, go young um, every place they can possibly. And um, this series to me is just a potential walking nightmare. Yeah, and I know Liz wants us to help him out, but uh, yeah, I, I I think we did well, get to Herman last time, so you know I'm not I'm not worried about him specifically, but you know if we're talking about two teams in two different places, and the you know the team that is playing well, you know will be the one to you know continue their trend, then yeah, absolutely. Well, I I won't retract my statement to say that I hope that the Sox sweep the Yankees, but I didn't realize that because uh, I hadn't looked at really the standings to see. I just knew, you know, I knew our wild card standing. That's all I've really been looking at. But uh, I didn't realize the Yankees already had 92 wins. So the chances of uh, them losing nine and us winning nine, you know, catching up, very, very slim, very slim, very slim to none uh, possible, but um, but slim. So um, I still want them to win, though. You know, it still might, you know, knock them down a few pegs or so, or or something. Who knows? But um, I don't, I don't have any opinion except for uh, I just hope the Sox win. I'm just gonna lean on that and keep my fingers crossed for you guys. <laughs> Game two, J Hap against uh, a TBD. So that's gonna be like a bona fide bullpen game with an opener. They used uh, Josh Taylor uh, earlier, uh, well, actually last week. And um, so you could see him. You could see Brian Johnson, everybody's favorite middle relief guy, uh, log some innings. I think Darwin's in Hernandez. If he's not used the night before, he'll probably be good for a couple. Walden can go a couple. Um, So... You know, that's one one of those uh, games they'll just have to patchwork it. But we typically do pretty well. We don't usually get shelled 
in that situation. We are facing Jay Happ, who we have uh, a lot of good recent success, including uh, game one of the uh, ALDS last year. Uh, got to him pretty good, and I, I don't even know if he got out of the fourth inning of that one. So he is coming off a good start, but again, you know, if you just evaluate where the teams are, you know, it's it's kind of hard to pick against the Yankees in this one. You can't discount that they could potentially go out and score a touchdown and kick a field goal. Um, and if that happens, fine. The Red Sox are going to win this game. But um, I just can't imagine it, that happening. And even if it does, I could also imagine them losing 12 to 10. So, you know, I... I hold out very little hope that they win this game. Wes, any thoughts on game two? No serious thoughts. They're going to win. Woo! Beat the Yankees. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Game three. That is the Sunday. I'll I'll be the homer since uh, since Jeremy's convinced I'm a fan anyway. (laughs) Okay. And that was believable. That was (laughs) believable, too. Sunday, 8.04. Five game. Uh, that's the ESPN game. I thought they that must be because of football because they've been starting at seven. So I I guess. But anyway, so Tanaka against Porcello. Both guys have been really bad, and both guys have been really bad against each other's opposing team. Um, to just add an interesting twist on this matchup, I mean. Is this like, Jeremy, you and I are on different sides of the spectrum with Porcello, but could this start influence what might happen here, you know, in a, in a few weeks, well, you know, when the season ends and decisions need to be made? No, I don't think anything changes. Okay. But I will say that I expect next to nothing from Porcello in the start. Um, I expect probably five earned four innings, something like that, and he'll probably give up some runs early. He'll, you know, he'll pick up, he'll give up a, a big home run. Um, by the way, he gave up a home run in the, his start. Uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, where it hit the catwalk in dead center, where they film the bird's eye view to the from the pitcher, uh, the pitching mound to home plate. I have never, and you know, I'm 35 years old. I've probably been watching the majority of Boston Red Sox games since I was probably like eight years old. So we're talking, let's call it 27 years. I have never seen a ball hit there before. And with the way these Yankees team subscribes to the launch angle theory, um, I really do expect him to give up at least two or three home runs and get shelled. Um, and then it comes down to, again, how much does the offense give you? Um, and is it enough? And I think Tanaka will be better. And uh, I, for the, frankly, I think, that, you know, the Yankee, these games mean more to the Yankees because the Yankees are in it to win it. And I don't care what they say outwardly, inwardly, they know this thing's over. So I, you know, I, this whole thing comes down to a potential sweep and an embarrassing end to the season because then you got Paxton going game four against Erod. And 
while I think that presents your best chance to win a game, it's another game where I just don't know, especially if you've lost the first three, what the mindset of the team's going in where they know, you know, the whole thing's dead. And Monday could be, you know, a blowout based on the fact that the season's probably over going into game four. Well, well, it already is, but you know what I mean as far as the players' mindsets. Yeah, that Monday is more of a marquee matchup between Paxton and Rodriguez. But what's uh, what's Porcello's post-it note going to say going into this game, though? Like pitch a no-hitter maybe or um, – Don't get shelled. He, he, Stop sucking he, didn't he, work. <laughs> could be one of the homeless people on my ride to work that say, like, you know, we'll work for free or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. We'll work to not be shut out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. It was just a thought. But anyway, Paxton, Erod, Monday. Uh, that is a night game, despite being the final game of the series. Final, uh, I think this is our last matchup with the Yankees, actually, for the year. Uh, I wish I, I did some research to know what our actual season record was, because I, I would imagine it's pretty ugly right now, and it, you know, could potentially be more so after. But. But I like Erod in this one. I'm just that's the one where I'm just gonna pick the Red Sox no matter what. It's at home as well, so. I uh, you know I, I I Erod's seventeen and five. I think he you know, he could potentially. I think he has four or five starts left, so he could potentially win twenty games. Uh, I, I I hope for his sake. Um, that he wins the game and that he kind of, you know, continues to put together a career year here. It's just, again, the Yankees are playing every pitch matters to them. Um, they are, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be in the ALDS. They're going to have another five uh, games on top of the 162, potentially more. Um, I think this game will de- be dependent on the first three. Um, and if they, you know, I just don't see if they, if they lose the first three, I just don't see them having the fervor to come out and fight in this one. Um, so a lot of it will depend, but I, you know, I, I honestly don't rule out this thing being really, really bad and embarrassing in a sweep. Well, that would, you know, for a four game set would obviously be pretty ugly, but yeah, I'm just noticing right now Paxton and Erod have uh, both have exactly 168 strikeouts, so that's interesting. Um, but, you know, this is it, and I think for the Yankees, they still are facing the number one offense in, in Major League Baseball, so I think this is going to serve for them as a temperature check coming into the playoffs, you know, for their pitching staff. So I hope, you know, I hope the Red Sox can can do a little damage. I, I don't want them to be too confident uh, going into that. And um, l- let me, and we'll wrap it up with this. They're neck and neck with the Astros right now for the top seed. And I'm like flip-flopping on where I want the Yankees to finish. If I, if I think Cleveland, and I they're not currently in the wild card. They're half a game out. But if Cleveland makes the wild card, I'm totally good with the Yankees in the one seed. Because I think Cleveland, better than anyone other than the Astros, 
has the best chance to beat the Yankees. And the Astros are guaranteed the two seeds, so there's no possible way to have a Yankees-Astros ALDS. That'll that'll have to happen the next round. So if I feel like Cleveland's going to sneak into the wild card, I'm good with the Yankees being the top seed. If I don't think that's going to happen, then I, I'd rather see the Astros uh, take it. So. All right. Well, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm. Trust me, I'm much. Well, the Twins are six and a half games up on the Indians, so. Well, they're guaranteed the three seed. A, so. They, yeah, I know. I know. I'm saying that they, they, they're going to be a wild card. Um, that wild card game just can be so wonky, you know. I mean, it really can, and you can have a team that you know, is clearly uh, a much better team lose just because the other guy's starting pitchers better. So, um, but I'll tell you, I'm excited for that part of the season. Let's get through the next three weeks and get back to where baseball matters, uh, you know, in the playoffs and, and that wild card day is, is, is just really a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, disappointing season, probably setting up for a monumental, uh, failure and, and probably, quitting um here but it is what it is and and we'll uh we'll get through it and we still have a lot of pieces in place for 2020 liz final thoughts go red sox uh, yeah try to red convince sox. us one more time you're not a red sox fan yeah, 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 yeah well well i was gonna say since you keep bringing that up i mean not that you don't bring it up multiple times in every <laughs> show but uh the the true the true test will be on the 22nd when Terry and I are going to watch a game together. And it just so happens that I'm going to be in Boston and it just so happens to be Red Sox Rays yeah. <laughs> on that, uh, on that weekend, which is so funny. They're down here in Tampa and I'm up there, but, um, but we'll see who I cheer for. Jeremy. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Terry, Terry will report to me privately. Oh, well, I think you'll be. <laughs> All right, everyone. Good yeah. night. Okay. And, uh, you know, go Pats on Sunday. All right. No, go Steelers. What are you talking about? Oh, with all due respect, fuck the Steelers. <laughs> all right. Jeremy got in the swear night, jar guys. in the last second. All right. Have a have a good uh, rest of you guys' this week. All right. You too. Bye. Night. You as well. Bye. Woo. 166 in the books. The plug has been pulled. The Red Sox are done. Maybe we'll tune up the Yankees. I don't know. But everybody have a good uh, end to your week. And uh, if you're looking forward to football, enjoy that. Because, uh, you know, that's going to be at least one meaningful game (laughs) this weekend. So take care, everyone. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben Intendi coming on, dodge! And then he makes the catch, he did! He got it! There we go. Time to party. Right here. 3-2. High the end! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing it and miss, thankfully it's over! The Red Sox have won the world! Championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman.